Welcome to The Inevitable. This is Motor Trends' new podcast about the future of the automobile. I am Johnny Lieberman, the Senior Features Editor at Motor Trend, and I am joined every week by my co-host, Mr. Ed Lowe. That's me. I'm the Head of Editorial for Motor Trend, and boy, do we have an amazing list of guests that we're going to be chatting with. We've got the godfather of the environmental movement, Ed Bagley Jr. Derek Jenkins, a whole bunch of actors, celebrities, car-crazy folks, people from in and outside the industry. Industry. Can't wait for you to join us. We're talking about the future of the car. This means everything from electrified vehicles to cars that drive themselves. Come check us out. We're on podcastone.com or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. We're also on motortrend.com and youtube.com slash motortrend. All right. This week on CarCast, we're going to talk to uh, automotive designer Davis Lee. He spent some time at Mercedes and Rivian and uh, a few other companies, including where he's at now, Adro. Uh, you'll want to hear about that. Before we get started, here's Geico. Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know it's easy? Bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator. DeAndrea, oh, we're going to be down a man today. Bill Goldberg, he's uh, he's going to be out today. He's got some other stuff that he's got to take care of. Um, but uh, but look, no problem. We, uh, we've got a, a great guest today. We've got uh, our friend Davis Lee. He's an automotive designer and uh, quite the resume. He's worked on a number of different projects at a number of different companies um, over the years. And we just wanted to catch up and see what's going on in your world. Davis, how are you? Good. Thank you. How are you doing? We're doing well. So I, I noticed that um, – uh, so you're you're at a company now, Adro, is that right? Yes. Yes, Adro. Adro. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've, you've been in the design world working for projects, I don't know, I guess as a, as a freelance uh, uh, way of doing it, working on the, the Maybach 6, which was the, the Vision 6, which is a really cool concept car that we saw, I, I believe, at Pebble Beach. Uh, mm-hmm. A few years back, um, you've been doing some work with uh, with Tesla, BMW, Kia, Rivian. Um, how is that? H- how are you jumping into all of those projects? Is 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 it through your company? Yeah, actually, I was part of uh, design team in Mercedes, also with Hyundai and Rivian. Um, so I was actually designing for their products, um, and. I've been in the industry for about 11 years altogether. And being an automotive designer at OEM, you get a lot of chances to work on future cars and a lot of projects. It's super exciting. You learn a lot. But um, I started my career at Adro about 11 months ago because I felt like the automotive industry, the OEMs are huge, but the life cycle of designing a car takes about, we're looking about four to five years ahead. And yeah. it could be a lot of work and a lot of frustration involved because there's a lot of politics also. Um, and then if you're lucky enough to get through, then you 
design design the car under your name, but it, it's it's pretty much through a car in three four years. So I wanted to start fresh in a startup and have my designs out there uh, faster than major OEMs. Tell us about Adro. What is it? What does the company do? It's not just automotive. Uh, so Adro stands for Aerodynamic Development Race Optimization. So what we're doing is we're actually making aftermarket body kits for cars. Um, we're making carbon fiber parts, spoilers, lips, uh, side skirts, diffusers for cars. It's it's pretty much uh, if you think of it this way, there's a, there's a phone. like iPhone makes makes the smartphone, but there's a lot of uh, iPhone cases that companies make to to give it a different look, and that's what we're doing. It's an aftermarket in a car company. Okay, and what are some of the cars or the brands that you guys are working on over there? Uh, we're working on so many brands. We're actually making body kits for Tesla, Mercedes, BMWs, uh, Kias, Hyundai's, and and Cor- uh, Corvette, Mustangs. A lot of a lot of cars. And how are those sold? Do, do does do you guys sell them or are you making them from other companies and then those companies are, are selling them? Like what are some of the, the brands we should be looking for to see that stuff? Oh, um, our resellers uh, sell them mainly, but we also sell it ourselves. We have, we manufacture it in house in Korea and then uh, we sell it worldwide. Okay. Now you were, um, you, you, you kind of got started. Let's back up a bit. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess you had an interest as a kid in designing, maybe designing cars. I don't know if it was the love of design or the love of cars that kind of got you into it. But uh, tell us a little bit of that story. How did you get started in this? Well, actually, I, I grew up, I spent a lot of time in Europe. I I grew up, I went to kindergarten in Germany. And of course, in Germany, I got to see a lot of cars and as a boy, I mean, most of the boys, they love cars. And I think, and I, I fell in love with the shape of cars. And I just, it, it kind of grew on me. And I thought maybe one day I should design a car. So I started um, studying car design mm-hmm. to transportation design course in university. And I started my career at uh, Mercedes. Uh, in Germany? Uh, I started... Uh, my first career in Mercedes, Japan. They have a design studio in Japan. Okay. Stayed there for two years, and then I moved to California. They also have a design studio in California. So, And then I moved on to Hyundai, California, and then Ruby in California. When you're, when you're working for a company like Mercedes, there's obviously mm-hmm. um, a, a, a design theme, a motif going on, but mm-hmm. are there, are there difference, differences when designing for a Japanese audience versus European or an American audience. It, it, it's so different. Um, it is. Okay. That's why I, my, my goal was I wanted to experience European brand, also an Asian brand, also an American brand. And I was really successful. Uh, luckily that I got a chance to work in all three. Um, first of all, German companies are very strict. They, they are very strict about proportions. I mean, because they have a very long history. So they are very strict with the proportions. It has to be perfect and it, it shouldn't be so weird. 
versus Asian companies, they want to do something really trendy. And uh, that's the case because they don't have a long automotive history. They need to change and catch up with the market. American companies are, I would say, very innovative. They like to search for something that's really catchy. So, for example, when I worked at Rivian, um, I'm sure you recognize there's a pill shape in the front with headlamps, and it's very unique. So, like American companies, they always search for something that stands out uh, from far away. So, these are kind of the different cultures I've noticed in uh, different uh, car companies. Yeah. So, the difference has been between working with, let's say, the oldest car company, Mercedes, and arguably mm-hmm. one of the newest companies, Rivian. Yes. Um, and Rivian run by, you know, a bunch of, you know, young, smart, eager, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, designers and executives and stuff, um, and even uh, people backing that company. Tell us a little bit more about, about Rivian. Like, what did you do at Rivian, and how was it working there? And well, it was it was definitely a great experience. Um, it, of course, I, I I can't say it wasn't chaotic. Of course, it's a little bit chaotic because right. it's a new company. And last year when I went there, they were like they were hiring two hundred people a week. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, there were only two thousand employees when I was there, but now I heard it's about ten thousand. So it's growing really fast. And it's very vibrant. But also what I noticed is because it's moving so fast, they are trying to do a lot of things, but the goal always shifted. There's a lot of factors, the the budget or strategy. It was, as I said, it was a little chaotic, but definitely had that startup feeling. I mean, that kind of growth rate almost seems unmanageable. Like even just Correct. the onboarding Correct. process of, because this is, this isn't a company that had 10,000 people and needs to no. sort of, you know, s- s- sort of turn over a certain amount within the 10,000. Like as they're bringing in people for the first time, they need to figure out the onboarding process, where to put them, what they're going to do, Correct. how they're going to integrate into whatever current systems are there. I mean, mm. it's unless unless the original, let's say, two thousand people all become, you know, the VPs or the directors, and everything, right. you know, like everyone needs to get their direction from someone well, before. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, I keep, <laughs> keep in mind, all those two thousand people also were fairly new. Yeah, they were all pretty yeah. new. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, everyone is yeah. at at a company yeah. like that, right. um, and and I know they're they've got a couple of. I don't know, a couple of offices or design studios and manufacturing mm-hmm. now. Where were you located at the time? I was located in Irvine, California, which is the yeah. headquarters for Rivian. Okay. And, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because I noticed they have an office in Venice as well. I pass by it almost yes. every uh-huh. day. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and because of that office uh, in my area over there, we get to see quite a few Rivians because, you know, customers out there are buying them. Right, but, right, right. But there's always several on the property and people driving around and test driving and showing people. It's still so – I'm sure everyone that visits these locations are like, let's go see the truck. Let's go for a ride. There's quite a bit of that. What were you doing specifically at, at Rivian? What were you working on? Was it something minute like you're saying, like the pill-shaped headlights or were you on sort of a 
larger scale design? Uh, we had larger scale design projects. Um, due to confidentiality, I can't really talk about what segment it is, but mm-hmm. they have plans to expand on multiple segments. Uh, for now, they have the R1T and the R1S, which is the pickup and the SUV, but they were planning to expand into other segments. And I was heavily involved in that. Also, I was heavily involved in evolving the pill shape into the next design language. Yeah. So making it, taking it a step farther. So I was heavily involved in that too. You know, just a, a, a couple of months ago, if that, at, at Monterey, um, I got to sit down at dinner with the new chief of design for all of Ford. Uh, Mm-hmm. And uh, Anthony, Anthony, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he was fantastic, so wonderful to talk to, and and really um, a, a lot of Asian influence and European influence is, is mm-hmm. car background there, and then coming to an American company, and and yeah, I was asking him as well. I was like, well, you know, what kind of stuff have you worked on? Have we seen? What are you working on? And he's like, well, you know, I've. I've only been at the company. I think he said something around fourteen months at the time. Right, right. So he said, "There's a you know, there's a few things I touched on interior wise for some new models that you're seeing now." He goes, "But pretty much fourteen months isn't like any, everything's done. Everything's designed. Everything's right, ready to right, go." Right. He's like, "So all the stuff he's working on is a few years down the road. You won't even correct, see correct, what yeah. he and his team are doing if there's a right. even a new design theme coming, you know, from Anthony from the top down." That's not even going to be out there for no. for a few years. I mean, no. the, uh, yeah. So the the most we would get from him is, is like, yeah, he's like, you know, some projects on Lincoln and the concept cars that were on the lawn at Pebble Beach. He had some he had some thoughts and a little bit of input on that, and that maybe he put some influence into that, and that's what we'll see three right. or four or five years from now. Correct. Uh, but yeah, he has to. That was the thing. I was like, I was. Asking him, and maybe you saw this at Rivian as well. The question that I asked him, I'll ask you the same, is what were some of the differences that he's finding when designing an electric vehicle versus a more traditional gas engine vehicle? Well, my this is my personal opinion. Um, electric cars do have way more freedom than I see internal combustion engine cars because, first of all, there's no engine. Mm-hmm. So people have this delusion that, okay, electric cars, we got to do something completely different. Right? But, yeah. but the fact is that is the platform itself is, is not that different because, you, first of all, you need to put four passengers in the car. Yeah. So you can't make a dramatic change. That that cabin is not going to change. So what happens is they try to do something really funky with the EVs, and then at the end it becomes a very weird looking car. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can tell you many examples, but um, like for example, some Toyota Mirai. I mean, it's, it's hydrogen, but they tried something really wacky, and and it's perceived very weird, weirdly. To the customers. Yeah, right. And, th- and that's why I think Tesla was pretty successful because it's it's not controversial, first of all. And if you look at the proportions, it's not so different from the com- traditional cars. Yeah. But people perceive it as an EV. 
Same goes with the Porsche Taycan or Rivians. Like the proportion and the look of the car is not so different with the ICEs. Mm-hmm. So I, my personal thought is that EV doesn't have to look like a box. You don't have right. to reinvent the wheels. It has to, first of all, look good. Second of all, look good. And third, it has to look good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think it's, it's very simple, and I think the big companies are overthinking it a little bit. Yeah, you know, some of the things he pointed out to me as uh, as we were sitting there for a while, and uh, he was saying, you know, from an exterior design standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, he found that with an EV, he's able to start the design with an extended wheelbase. Because you can push those axles, basically, for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. A little further out toward the bumpers. There's Mm -hmm. not a whole cooling system, let's say, in the front of the vehicle, radiators and fans Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he goes, so that that actually changes the design style a little bit. And then arguably on the engineering side, yeah, on the engineering side, a little bit longer wheelbase, maybe a little bit Mm -hmm. smoother ride. Mm-hmm. On a vehicle that's not longer than the ICE version of that vehicle, right? Right, right. Uh, and then uh, on the interior, um, yes, having that flat floor, no, no, uh, no tunnel, you know, for a transmission tunnel, mm-hmm. um, eliminating a bit of that. Uh, and I said, yeah, but we are running into, you know, where do you put your feet? Right. If you're sitting in the back and you have this big battery, this this big, whatever, rectangular battery, almost half, you know, almost the length of the car, almost from axle to axle. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, you know, like in the back seat, you put your feet flat on the floor and you're realizing that uh, I guess we don't think about how much. What the topography is of of the floor pans of cars. Right. Right. We've got, you know. The seats are raised up and the feet are down lower and the the pedal box and and things like that. And then the back, you know, our seats sit down, our our feet kind of sit lower almost underneath, you know, a a tad Mm -hmm. bit underneath the the seat in front of you. And you don't have – I think it was a Porsche Taycan that that did have like that. I don't know if there's like holes or something in the battery that's sort of designed to give your – to sit your foot down a little bit. He goes, Mm -hmm. but that was – that's an issue as well because that's an issue he has to bring up with engineering and going – Hey, I want to lower the rear passenger's feet, and they, you know, they're going, oh, but that's that's seven percent less battery, correct, you know, we correct. could do. So, uh, how how are we going to do that? So, yeah, right. do, do you have thoughts on that? What do you what are you guys doing on the interior side of EVs versus ICE? Well, um, first of all, I'm not an expert with interiors, but I was, because I was mainly my whole career was on the exterior side, okay. but uh, in my understanding. There's way more freedom in interior than the exterior because, as you mentioned, the wheelbase is longer, first of all. Yeah. And it's a flat floor, and there's there, it gives way more flexibility in terms of designing the interior. But, as I've mentioned, you need to place four passengers in there, and they have to drive comfortably. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit of more freedom, but it's actually not that much more freedom. And second of all, the battery pack that's sitting below the car is pretty thick. Yeah. So if you want to make the car lower, it, it, there's a lot huge challenge involved in that. That's why a lot of electric car companies, the cars look stubby. Because mm-hmm. they want to lower the roof, but 
the floor is higher than the ICE cars because of the battery pack. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, so Taycan did an amazing job. They managed to make the car lower, but there's more advantage with longer cars because they can spread the battery thinner and longer without hurting the mileage. Um, That's why the Model S looks pretty good. But if you look at Model 3, it's shorter, so they have to make the battery taller. Yeah. And they try to squeeze the roof down, so it's proportionally a little bit off. Right. It's a little more egg-shaped. And the Model S is is a little little cleaner, a little bit nicer line. Exactly. So there's way more bigger advantages with longer cars because they can spread the battery thin. And that's why Lucid also, it's a long car, so it doesn't look so off. Yeah, that's a good point. Lucid mm-hmm. is Lucid is a big car. If you haven't seen it, it is in a person, big car, yes. like you should you should see this car in, in person. It's it's um uh, it's, it's huge it's, actually. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's a it's, it's a big car. It is. Uh you know we we it seems like for so long the first thing that we went to was the exterior design of cars. It's so important on nailing that exterior, bringing people in to the showroom and uh but now that we're spending so much time in cars, traffic, especially out here in LA, uh, that's becoming such a, a selling point. You think about the cars of the 80s, anything from from Ferraris to Camaros to whatever, just very kind of flat dash and mm-hmm. and kind of square, you know, holes for gauges and right, and right. Uh, um, not 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 a lot of thought there, just more of. How do we get the pieces in there that we need to get, right? Where do you put a radio? Where do you put your gauges? Where do you put a shifter? Mm-hmm. You know, let's try to go for a decent seat. But aside from that, they're like, that's that's all we're really kind of going for. Not even a lot of thought on, you know, like window switch placement and stuff. It was just kind of like, this is where you put them, right? Yeah, everything yeah. was exposed, yeah. Yeah, everything yeah. was exposed. Yeah. And uh, one of the projects that Anthony and Ford was telling me that he was working on is, uh, well, First of all, he was saying interiors are playing such an important part of the future Mm -hmm. of their design that Mm -hmm. he's working on a project where he's designed the interior and they don't even know what car it's going to be for. They just started with interior. He's like, Mm -hmm. this is what I think the new environment would be like for a person. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, what's this going to be? Is this a car? Is this a truck? He's like, I have no idea. But mm-hmm. this is what I think is going to, you know, what I think should start to happen. That's an interesting, it, it's an interesting thought process, right? Like start there. Uh, correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely how I see it is designers should always push the boundaries. They have to drag the engineers. I, I think that's the, that's the key. Like, for example, um, if you look back 20 years ago, uh, when the first foldable phone came out, uh, all the engineers were like, this is impossible. How can you put all the wires and turn on the screen? Because mm-hmm. it's detached, right? But designers came out with that design and they pushed the engineers to actually make it. So, I, and, then, and then it became the standard. So these kind of thought process and going advanced from the designers, I think it's the key to innovate uh, a lot and to, to challenge the status quo. Yeah, let's um, step back for a second. And while you were working on the uh, the Mercedes, you were working on mm-hmm. uh, 
the the Vision Six. This is a, a very kind of over the the top um, uh, vehicle, and really on the exterior design for sure. Something that mm-hmm. you worked on. Uh, what? First of all, tell us what you did on that project, and what were your what were your thoughts on that? Um, so that was, I believe, it was 2016. Um, we wanted to show a car, a show a showcase a concept car at Pebble Beach, and we started off with the uh, 540k. Like we started to dig the history because Pebble Beach, as you know, is a very classic car um, show, and it's a very top high class show so we wanted to dig our classic car history and we found out about the 540k autobahn career so we had a couple of days to sketch around it and now i can sugarcoat a lot of things and tell <laughs> you that oh well, we thought about this and that and that but the fact is i came up with a side view sketch and I don't know if you know Gordon Wagner. He's head of design at Mercedes. Um, he was visiting California studio. And day before he visited, uh, we looked at one of my sketches and we decided to print out the biggest, to print out on the biggest wall we have. Yeah. Okay. So, and the, and the longest wall I found was six meters long. So I printed out in a potter, to fit that wall, which was six meters, and the side view sketch was hanging on the wall. Next day, Gordon comes in, he saw the sketch, and he was like, whoa, I love this. Let's do it. Just make it exactly like this. (laughs) So we made it exactly like that, and that was six meters long, and that's why it's called My Bus (laughs) 6. Really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's very intuitive. I mean, like, it's, it's... like I can sugarcoat it, as I said, but it's it was it was just done like that. Okay, so now the hood design on this thing. So those uh-huh. of you who haven't seen it, the Mybox Six. It uh, it's it's a very long front end, long nose, front engine design, very kind of classic shape. You know, it's right. just like mm-hmm. a just beautiful kind of swooping line that goes down to the back, almost kind of a boat tail type of yes. back. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of like old uh, alpha male, like a boat tail, um, mm-hmm. something like that. And then um, a, a spine down the middle, and you can, you can come up with the, with the right terms. You can correct me on this, but a spine down the middle, uh-huh. um, which would maybe on an old car be sort of a chrome trim piece going down right. the, you mm-hmm. know, from, from the, from the windshield all the way to, to the front grill. But mm-hmm. that's, also a hinge and you guys uh, made the hood split in two so right. mm-hmm. so the hood was would would open on the left side and on the right side and mm-hmm. join the metal in the middle now a, a classic design from Correct. from back in the day but a classic design from a car that was you know five feet in the air and you would grab a panel and you would fold it <laughs> up right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, and, and you could stand and look at the side of the engine but being a a a shorter car, a, a much sleeker type of car, uh, that hood design uh, uh-huh. was that a part of the original design, or was that something you came up with after you decided it was going to be six meters long? <laughs> <laughs> something that we came up with after being six meters long. Yeah, okay. <laughs> actually, actually, it was supposed to be an ICE car, and then um, 
And Gordon thought, uh, this should be electric. So we had to come up with something to put it under that massive hood. So <laughs> we designed some, some plates and umbrellas and suitcases to fit in that huge hood. Yeah, which kind of so, made it, it – it made it more interesting because that type of hood on that car – Mm-hmm. would not be good for a nice engine, for a nice no. power plant, right? right because right. maintenance and how do you do it? You bang your head and do it. But right, right. <laughs> but, but as, a, as a frunk or a trunk or some storage right, right. or something, it, it turns it into something much different. Now, a car that large, I don't know how functional it was underneath the vehicle. Did you make mm-hmm. a, a, a running car? Yeah, we, we made it a running car, but it was it was controlled by a by joystick. So... It was actually the, like it. There was there was only half interior, so you couldn't actually go in there. It was okay. it was it was just for the show, and then for the next version with the cabriolet, we had uh, it was a drivable car. It was a drivable car, mm-hmm. and then so and then what kind of powertrain do you put into it? Do you for this particular type of exercise? Do you mm-hmm. does Mercedes say, hey, we do want to make something with? actual braggable numbers you know power and range or do they say just make it move from point a to point b and it's it's got golf cart batteries and a little electric motor i would say just make it move. just make it move. Yeah. <laughs> right okay get it ready for the show that's right just make it move. so 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 but this is an interesting project but this mm-hmm. is a design exercise that's really Correct. kind of what Correct. this is here this mm-hmm. isn't you know hey it's it's the future of Mercedes, and it's going to have 800 mile range, and mm. you know something like that. This was just something to purely to- design exercise and showcase our design. I mean, Mercedes uh, design language to the public, right? So there, there was no really uh, serious technological or engineering behind it. And I'm curious what it costs to to do a project like this from, from sitting down and from, from the boss coming in your office going, Hey, I like your sketch to let's roll it out at Pebble beach. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be just to make the car. It would be a little over a million dollars, but yeah. th- that's not involving all the labor manpower. It's involved in there. So right. I'll take a couple million dollars. Yeah, so that's it's listen. It's an interesting investment from mm-hmm. from Mercedes to say this is something we want to take to Pebble. We think this is an interesting statement to make from right. from a design language point of view, mm-hmm. right? And but we we feel like this statement is worth a few million dollars. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we had an analysis of how much media it got, how much worth it was, and I believe it was like thirty million dollars. Yeah, media coverage. So I think it was way worth the the cost. Yeah. Okay. You know what we're seeing? Um, we're seeing less, if you will, concept cars like that. Uh, yes. Certainly pre-pandemic, um, uh, and 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 a little bit after, like government bailouts, a little bit less mm-hmm. uh, of of things like that, and a little bit more like. Hey, you know, a, a concept car, if you will, or or maybe the better term is prototype, where they're like, yeah, this is 80, 90% to the production, right? right? I, I would say the Nissan Z, pretty good example, right? Mm-hmm. They've been showing this bright yellow Z 
yeah. for I don't know a few years now, three years now, and and the thought was, yeah, this is pretty close to being production ready. Now, in yeah. the world of of OEMs, ninety mm-hmm. percent production ready could mean don't open the hood because all of the fluid caps are wrong, right? And we don't ever want to show an oil cap with the wrong label or the wrong cap on it, right? So it can be that finite on on what that actually means to, you know, we're – and it could mean something small like that to we are reshaping some pieces on the body or we're definitely, you know, things that we notice all the time are things like mirrors, side markers, uh, you know, things like that, the side mirrors and stuff. What are your thoughts on – on the car companies getting closer to a production vehicle as their prototype or concept versus what you did with Maybox 6, the Vision 6? Okay. Uh, first of all, those kind of uh, 80%, 90% similar to the production car is usually what major OEMs do is it takes about four to five years to develop a car. So basically, like a year before the production cars released, they asked the designers to dress it up a little bit, mm-hmm. or put some huge wheels, change the side mirrors, and let's let's show it to the public and see what they think. So it's basically those kind of show cars are just the dress up of the final production cars. Okay, it's already it's it's ready, but they just they can't wait four or five years, so they just want to see some reaction. Right. So that that's how they approach to those kind of dress up show cars. And then after a year when the production car comes out, the general public is like, Oh wow, it looks so close to the concept. Yeah. Which <laughs> which which is actually a total lie because they they've already done the production, but they're just dressing it up a year before and showing it. Right. To the public. Right. I mean it's already done. And I think that's a very conservative move from the OEMs because they're always showing the past. And Mm -hmm. that's not the purpose of the show car. My thoughts is the show car has to show the future and drag the public to making them believe that this company is going to do something more futuristic. And, and And in this time where we're living right now, the reason why OEMs are becoming so conservative is because they're costs like yeah there's a huge paradigm shift from ic cars to electric cars and what are you going to do with all the engineers that were developing the engines and you know transmission and they they have to start cutting people off lay people off and and reduce their costs so they they are getting the market is getting more tight yeah, they're reducing a lot of costs. They they're not being very bold with their show cars anymore, and that's a sad thing. Yeah, yeah, but that's an interesting point. These these show cars that you're talking about, like Maybach mm-hmm. Six, it, that really is an exercise in what the future can be, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the these prototypes that we're seeing at auto shows now, like what they did with the Z and 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 many other cars, you're right. That's they're they're kind of test marketing a design that they've already done and approved, right. and right. they're not going to change it. No, but they just want to find out 
how to market it now, right? right. Like how so to, to make it look cooler. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, let's let's you know, let's find out what the reactions are. Let's see what people say. Let's figure out what we need to do. So, I guess this kind of leads us to the world of aftermarket. So now you're yes. in the aftermarket world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it gives you the opportunity to go, oh yeah, I saw this particular car five mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. uh, like the Z, and then. Mm-hmm. They rolled it out with some really cool, you know, big wheels and mirrors and stuff mm-hmm. as a prototype, if you will. And then the car went to production and they went, they took a step back to make it the, the more mainstream pedestrian right. version of it. Mm-hmm. And then you being in the aftermarket world could go back and go, well, now what can we do to this car to make exactly. it maybe even look <laughs> like more like a show car? <laughs> more like a show car, right? <laughs> yeah, correct. So uh, is that the thought process? Like why join a company like Adro? Okay. So, well, it's a, it's a long story. My brother-in-law was a co-founder of Adro. And, um, the goal is to make EVs. We want to make electric cars. And the reason why we're in the aftermarket industry right now is because we don't want to follow the step of Rivian and Lucid. Now, and Faraday Future. All those startups that want to make electric cars from the beginning are facing huge challenges with the production and they're still not solving it. It, it, it it's, a, it's a chaos. They Because a car is has like 20 parts in it and if one supply chain is stopped, they, they have to stop the whole car. So, what we want to do is start with the aftermarket industry and then start changing bumpers, provide people with a lot of options. And we want to have the fundamentals right with the manufacturing process and then go into electric car field. So that was, that was the goal. And I somehow got very convinced with that vision. And that's how I joined Adro. Okay. Now, some of the, the projects that you guys are working on there, what's, What's the thought process there? Is this is this purely a design exercise? You're trying to make these cars look a little cooler, um, offer some bits that make you know f- front trim pieces, rear wings, or is how much of it is based off of function? Is there a let, let's say you know you make stuff for the Mustang, mm-hmm. you make stuff for the Tesla? Mm-hmm. Does does are you improving aerodynamics or anything on the Tesla, or is this mo- mostly a cosmetic thing? We started off with cosmetic, but we also did the CFD analysis. And it it happened to be that it improves five percent of the uh, drag aero drag. So it was it was very interesting. That I mean, to be honest, I wanted to make the Teslas not so boring. I, I designed it to make it look a bit more aggressive and allow people to dress it up in a more aggressive way. But it also happened to be that it helped the arrow. Now, this was three months ago, we hired a former uh, Williams F1 aerodynamicist. Um, So we are working on making efficiency much better. Well, that's not, frankly, that's not my part, but Mm -hmm. now we're going to work together to make it look good and also improve the efficiency a lot in the engineering standpoint. Okay. You know, because it seemed like not that long ago, the 
the aerodynamics of a car were only really considered on on a high end sports car, some sort of supercar, something right. along the lines of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, cars, trucks. You know, we didn't really give a lot of thought to the aerodynamics. Yeah. The OEMs would wouldn't even consider testing the aerodynamics of it. Maybe on some level they did just for for wind noise or something. You don't want to buy a right, brand new right. car and just have this high pitched whistle at sixty miles an hour from you know from a mirror or an antenna. They still or something. get complaints though. Yeah, they still do, right? Yeah. Uh, but now we see cars being being tested. Not just it. It became. It became relevant to me years ago when something like the Nissan Leaf came out. And I'm like, well, like this is an interesting looking car and it's kind of funky looking and this Mm -hmm. clear plastic headlights got these bubbles all over it. Like what's going on? And they said, oh, well, we designed it. And we realized because there's no engine noise, it's all electric. It made a lot of wind noise. So we had to sort of shape it a certain way, the mirrors and headlights and stuff to move air around, not necessarily just for aerodynamics, but for noise. But And now we're getting, you know, new Mustangs and Camaros and, and they're being wind tunnel tested and, and, the car companies are able to brag about the results and go, oh yeah, you know, you know, most cars are built in, I would imagine, with a little bit of lift in them, actually, because right. when you're on the freeway at 60 miles an hour, you want less friction on the road and right. uh, a little bit of lift almost kind of reduces the weight that you're moving. And then so it's funny because you could buy a, a Mustang or a Camaro with a little bit of lift, but then you buy the GT350 or GT500 version or or the hot Camaro version, and now they're like, oh, now we've re- we've gone the other way. We've created right. downforce, downforce at a yeah. certain at a certain mm-hmm. point. Uh, so it's interesting when we say, are we trying to improve aerodynamics mm-hmm. with aftermarket body kits? Mm-hmm. You know. When we say improve, do we mean downforce? Do we mean lift? Do we mean streamline? As you mentioned, reduce drag. I guess with different cars, you're potentially could do different things. You could say, hey, this is an aero package that increases the range 2% on right. an EV. And then here's an aero package that increases downforce on that same car. Yes. You know, you know, by 2%. You can have the performance arrow kit or the range arrow kit, right? Uh, that's a I mean, really, really good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess in the future, as you're working with the aerodynamics guy, mm-hmm. and maybe there's sort of two different versions of, of the product that you're releasing, right? Yes. That's, that's, Totally correct. Um, we are looking at two types of customers. First of all, Tesla owners, they're not going to be so crazy about the downforce. What they right. want the car is already fast. Right. I mean, they, <laughs> and they're not going to go on track with the Model 3, right? Yeah. So they, they are looking more into how to improve their mileage, the right. range. Of course, make and, it look cool. Make it look right, good. Right, right, right. And then and, and, and enhance the, the look. So they're mainly more interested in that versus the Mustang, the Camaro owners, they're more interested in making it look like it's going to perform better in the track. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to go to track every day, right? But it has to look like a race car. 
Yeah. It, it has to look like it's going to produce more downforce and more aggressive. So it, it, that's a good point. We, we really want to target these two customers. And the worst thing is to do something in middle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be really clearly stated and targeted towards different customers. You don't want to make a body kit that looks uh, like a mediocre with a bad, with a lot of downforce, which mm-hmm. is going to hurt the range, right? So it's, we need to target those two different types of customers. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys got a lot of fun stuff in the works. Um, mm-hmm. We'll uh, we'll have to keep an eye on what you're doing. But um, listen, I, I appreciate you joining us today. It's always great mm-hmm. to kind of get uh, a peek behind the curtain on what's going on on, um, uh, you know, sort of design process of, of cars today and what the future holds. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on EV. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole political discussion to figure out if if that's a, the best move or if that's going to be if that's going to be a long term move or not. But it, it hurts the car enthusiast, that's for sure. <laughs> it it kind of hurts the car enthusiast. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I, I I do agree with that. But um, you know, it can we can we make it more interesting? You know, certainly can we make it more interesting? So. Uh, yeah, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Davis Lee. Um, I, thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for having us. And we will, uh, we'll catch up at another time. I think awesome. we're going to, we're going to go ahead and wrap the, wrap the show. And we'll see you guys, uh, next week. I think we'll have Goldberg back next week. So until next time, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All this month, celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month with Pluto TV. Watch movies with the biggest stars like Eugenio Derbez in No Eres Tú, Soy Yo and Luis Gerardo Mendez in Camino a Marte. Plus, Pluto TV has thousands more movies and TV shows and over 45 channels in Spanish, all for free. So download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.